Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Podcast brought to you by ESPN Plus, the home of UFC 252. I'm Jake Latarski, joined today as always by John Littering. Uh, give John a follow on Twitter at J O N L I T T E R I N E. You can give me a follow at Roto Jake. Today, as usual, we'll be making our picks for the biggest fights at UFC 252. Daniel Cormier versus Stipe Miocic, where again, $1 million is on the line on DraftKings. So, uh, you know, even with sports coming back, DraftKings is rolling out these big GPPs. I like the $400,000 ones with 100K top prizes that they've been doing for uh, the fight nights. So these guys are going to get going. But uh, I don't know, before we get into it, John, huge, huge news in the flyweight division. Paige Van Zant signing with Bare Knuckle Boxing. What's your reaction? I, I saw it. It's very exciting. Uh <laughs> I thought I read on Twitter something about multi-million dollar deal, which yeah. seems hey, a little high, but congratulations. You know, hey, she's sure, if, you, if you can get it, you take it. I mean, outside of like Nunes and Shevchenko, like she possibly is the most marketable fighter in the profession. So yeah, I, guess, I, mean, I guess you can, <laughs> you know. Hey, if they want to pay it to you, take it. Hey, speaking of flyweights, we got a double up flyweight coming up in November recently announced. Uh, Valentina Shevchenko will be defending against Jennifer Maya. And also uh, the one you wanted to talk about, uh, Cody Garbrandt, is going to be moving down to flyweight to take a shot at Devison Figueiredo, who is very impressive in his knockout victory of Joseph Benavidez. How do you think, uh, what are your early thoughts on that one? Uh, my only early thoughts are that it's not a good sign when the person challenging for a title has never had a fight in the division. Uh, I just, it just speaks to the lack of depth in both flyweight divisions, really. But, you know, hey, the UFC, as we say over and over, is all about making the cash and Garbrandt's popular and it's a bigger fight than any other of the challengers at flyweight. And 
Plus, it's not like they really had a legitimate challenger to begin with. So well, here's the thing. Is. like You go down the rankings, Brandon Moreno, Askar, Askarov, and Alex Perez, all on win streaks, all deserving of this chance here. But those names, I mean... You know, if I wasn't saying them now, you'd probably have to look them up to name, you know, that many ranked flyweights. So, yeah, I see what they're doing. Um, the weight cut will be interesting. I don't know. that we'll, we'll talk about that in November. I'd actually be pretty surprised if that fight holds together all the way through then. So uh, I guess we'll see what happens there. Um, before we jump in, I wanted to mention an awesome promo. We're still running with our friends at ESPN+. Plus. If you sign up through the links on our website, you know, you got to have ESPN+, Plus to... Uh, to buy the fights anyway, so you might as well uh, get started now and get a free month of Rotowire uh, with that. That's full service to Rotowire, all sports plus DFS tools. So that means draft software, DFS tools with all uh, sports coming back. To do that, you just have to go to rotowire.com, sub, sub, uh, excuse me, rotowire.com slash subscribe and locate the ESPN Plus promo option on the bottom. Or if you already have an account, uh, just log in, click on subscribe now in the top right, and that will get you going. The direct link for that is uh, www.rotowire.com slash subscribe slash ESPN dash plus. So that'll get you going there. A uh, little bit more housekeeping. Uh, we've got um, FanDuel DraftKings or FanDuel's coming soon to the website. DraftKings, John, your article's already up. Good to go. So check that out. If you want to take a look, uh, staff picks going to the site on Thursday morning. Um, and of course, Fight IQ with uh, Joe, Sean, and Chris is coming back live on the Rotowire YouTube channel. That's Friday night at 7 Eastern, just youtube.com slash Rotowire. It'll be the first thing at the top of the page that you see. They got a live chat and all that fun stuff going if you want to talk strategy with them for this uh, excellent card. All right. That's a lot of info, John. Let's jump to the main event here. Stipe Miocic, Daniel Cormier. Cormier is the champion. Cormier is also the slight betting favorite, minus 115. The comeback on Miocic is minus 105. Stipe's a little pricier on DraftKings and FanDuel, however. Stipe, 8200 on DraftKings to DC's 8000 He's $20 on FanDuel to uh to dc's 19 dollars. of course FanDuel they adjust their pricing a little bit bump the five round fighters up um so we got a trilogy fight here the scores tied one to one this is dc's retirement fight john i gotta be honest i this is one of the fights that i had the hardest time picking of our entire staff picks here um i know you got to pick out in the article uh so i guess just let us know how you kind of arrived at that yeah it, it was really difficult and i went back and forth on this a bunch of times um, it's really one of those fights where, you know, if they fight 10 times, you'd probably pick both guys five times, which is, you really can't say that all that often in MMA these days. Um, it's just, it's tough. And it's a little made, the whole thing's made a little bit more confusing by the fact that, you know, I really think that Francis Ngannou is probably the best heavyweight in the world right now. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's a little bit difficult for me for right now to see a heavyweight championship fight booked without him involved. Um, you know, we obviously we know he fought Stipe once before and it didn't go well, but you know, that was a while ago and I really think he's a different fighter now. So yeah, I certainly would be shocked if he's not the guy who gets the winner here. But um look, well, if the winner is, here is DC, he's off into the sunset and then we gotta do a vacant one and I guess we'll see yeah, if Stipe I, and Ngannou get run it back. Uh that, you know that's what's yeah, I mean you know, I, it's just, it's so difficult these days where guys say they're out and then, you know, next thing they know, they come back and, you know, I'm not saying DC is definitely going to do that or whatever, but you hear it all the time. Guys say, yeah, wow. Who was the latest one? Luke Rockhold this week, right? He said, yeah. I, oh, well, I mean, oh, Gustafson, yeah. Gustafson was just right. back in there getting tapped by Fabricio not all that long ago either. Yeah. Guy, you know, guys, and a lot of it has to do with, you know, sometimes the emotion after fighting, look, it's a tough, obviously it's a tough job. And I mean, at least DC, obviously, you know, he has the commentating duties with the UFC, you know, he does sometimes. And I'm pretty sure he still coaches high school wrestling in Cal in Gilroy, California. So he certainly has things outside of fighting and really other than, you know, defeating John Jones, which, you know, at this point, I think Cormier is smart enough to realize that that's never going to happen because one, they'll probably never book it again. Um, and two, uh, he, he's just a smart enough guy to move on from that. And um, really what, it, what is really left for him to do in the sport? Really nothing. So uh, if he's peaceful with it, either, you know, his decision either way, um, good for him. I, um, I ended up taking Miocic and um, I'm not particularly confident about it. The one thing that stood out to me was, Cormier obviously won the first fight between the two, but the thing I couldn't get over is how it happened. 
Um, it was really just a f- uh, maybe not the result itself, but how it happened was really a fluke. It was just mm-hmm. one punch that knocked Stipe out. And um, it's really strange on multiple levels. First of all, Stipe is exceedingly durable. So um, that's one thing. And the second thing is Cormier, as we all know, he's not known as a power puncher. So seeing him knock out a guy who inside the octagon literally looks about twice his size with one punch is, you know, no one thought that's how it would end. Um, the second fight obviously was a bit different. Stipe won that one late in the fourth round, um, via knockout, but, um, Cormier obviously has a wrestling edge. He has a wrestling edge against pretty much anybody he ever fights. Um, but the real problem for DC is I think the size differential between the two, the fact that Stipe is just so much bigger mm-hmm. negates a bit of the edge that Cormier does have. So if Cormier, if they were the same size, Cormier can obvi- would obviously be able to, you know, to control a fight with all his technical skills. <laughs> you can make that but same argument with Bones if they were the same size. Then, right. Yeah, he's different. just so – it's just Stipe is just so much bigger than he is that, you know, a lot of the attempts that – might work on some smaller guys aren't simply aren't going to work on a guy's steep base size. Um, in the second fight, which I just mentioned, it lasted about 19 minutes, just over 19 minutes. And Cormier was credited with one successful takedown on three tries. Mm-hmm. That is in both categories is not going to get the job done. One, he obviously needs to land more than one successful try. And two, three attempts is not going to cut it. Mm-hmm. He needs to be up around, uh, you know, it's hard to throw out a number, but whatever you want to say, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10, because even if he's not scoring on the takedowns, at least he's making Stipe play defense, which is a really big deal when you take into account the power differential between the two. Stipe hits much, much, much harder. And every second the two men are within boxing range of each other, is a massive advantage for Stipe. The one thing I will say for Cormier is I uh, Saturday's fight will be con- in the Apex, contested in the smaller cage. Um, I think it. that I think that yeah, I think that favors DC a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Stipe won't have as much room to perhaps backpedal or try and get out of those takedown attempts. But on the other hand, um, if the two men are in striking range with each other. Um, since it's a smaller cage, DC is going to find himself up against the fence much quicker than he would with the larger cage. And that's a big, big advantage for Stipe. And I guess the biggest thing for me is if you want to talk about the difference in skill sets between the two, I think Stipe's power edge is a bigger factor than DC's wrestling edge. Now, if they were the same size, you know, DC would certainly have such a technical advantage that, you know, that would be a different story. But um, look, they're not. <laughs> so yeah. it is it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, watching Embedded, I only got the first episode, and DC looks like he's just as prepared, physically ready to go in this fight as he's ever been before. And, uh, you know, to put numbers on the size discrepancy here, I mean, any fans that have seen this fight have a good visual, but Stipe's five inches taller and his reach is eight inches longer. So it's uh, it looks like guys fighting at two different weight classes, and they're almost, uh, of course, DC is uh, a little, little bit uh, thicker built, I guess you could say, than, than Stipe. But uh, nonetheless, the size discrepancies there and i think honestly the key to this one if they i 100 agree with you john if you say that they fight 10 times they each win five that's for sure but i think the key to this one is honestly going to be the smaller cage because in the smaller cage that size disadvantage that size discrepancy uh is going to mean less and Cormier will be able to get into him, and I truly believe he said this himself. I truly believe that he's going to use his wrestling a little bit more in this one. And uh, you know, Stipe's takedown defense seventy three percent. You know, that's pretty solid. It's 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 good. But um, that smaller cage, I think, is going to work to DC's advantage, and I'm definitely leaning towards DC a little bit here. The other thing that we have to remember that kind of put me in DC's direction is okay. So DC got the knockout in the first fight. Got it. You know, all credit to him. You know, we can argue whether that was uh, fluky or not. Um, but then in the second fight, 
Round one, DC comes out, wins the battle of significant strikes, 37 to 7. Round two, DC, it gets a lot closer. DC still has the edge on paper, 56 to 46, also more accurate. Round three, DC, 57 to 34. He put together 181 significant strikes. It was going great for him. Until it wasn't, and uh, you know it was those body shots that Stipe started to come, started to rein in. It was two or three just very hard body shots, and then that kind of made DC crumble, and it was all over from there. And uh, the fourth round that Stipe got the knockdown, got the finish, was the only round where uh, Stipe actually outlanded him in the course of that fight. So not that we think of Daniel Cormier as a striker necessarily, but this is a guy DC has had success against. So. Uh, with that, given the fact that I think he'll be able to use his wrestling a little bit more in a smaller cage, I mean, Stipe was one that came out. He didn't want to use the smaller cage to start with. So, um, you know, that's a factor, too. I, not that I doubt, you know, a professional like Stipe is going to let that get in his head by any means. But those factors, really the big factor in the side of Stipe outside of, you know, a general striking uh, advantage and the size discrepancy is, uh, you know, just the the age. I mean, DC's 42 now. Can he really keep that up uh, at 42? It'll be exactly one year since uh, they both last, st- you know, stepped into the octagon. A year from 36 to 37 years old, to me, seems a lot different than a year from, you know, 41 to 42 years old. So that's a, that's a, that's a, uh, a tally, I guess, in Stipe's column. But in the end, uh, I think that DC has got just enough to get the win here and ride out into the sunset. And I don't mind his cheaper price either. No, the price is definitely reasonable. Uh, the only thing I say about the striking is I think there's such a difference in power that really mm-hmm. DC is going to have to land at a much, much higher rate in order to make up the power difference between the two. And what you brought up about the wrestling is a good point. If he said he's going to lean on his wrestling more, which is great. And if you told me he's going to do that, and he's going to land the takedowns. Obviously, you think he's going to win, but um, I just I think there's a real I just think there's a gap in the power. But like I said, the difference between here here is pretty minuscule. You know, you can go either way with the salaries. You know, they're almost identical, so you could really fit both guys in, no matter what your lineup is. If you really want to get a piece of this fight, which you know, if you type to make multiple lineups, as we as we always advise, probably a good idea. Because it is a five-round fight, and mm-hmm. you know both guys have always been durable, and the odds of it ending extremely quickly are pretty small. Yeah, I mean, in terms of ownership percentage, and uh, when it comes to DFS, I wouldn't be surprised if Stipe and DC are one-two, or vice versa in terms of overall ownership percentage. They'll be right up there with uh, Sugar Show, Sean O'Malley, and and uh, Devalishvili. I guess so that would be my prediction in terms of how the ownership shakes out here. Um, and the big reason for that is yes, they're the only five-round fight. There's it's not like last time where we had three titles on the card. We don't even have two in this one. So uh, the only five-round fight, especially with two durable guys, normally with heavyweight, that doesn't matter quite as much. But, uh, you know, just looking at the ownership for guys like Olenek last week against Lewis, like hey, that was pretty high too. So, um, again, you're going you're, you're gonna to want one side of this fight pretty much in any situation here, um, no matter what you're doing, especially when there's only, you know, 11 fights on the card. It's being held together here uh, a little bit. And, um, yeah, see, I I will give you Stipe as kind of a leverage play because I think you're going to see a lot of line value people on Cormier at the cheaper price and the better odds. Uh, I wonder if either of those guys will get any steam here before Saturday and uh, Stipe being a little bit more expensive, maybe that might drive the ownership down a little bit, but I don't think you're going to get that much leverage because of the five-round situation. So uh, really both these guys are, are uh, playing. We're going to split right down the middle on this one, and I'm, I'm willing to bet that our staff picks are going to be split as well. Yeah, I would think so. And, I mean, you just mentioned the five-round fight. That's a big deal. But uh, actually, I was driving home from work today. There was one analogy that came to mind. It's certainly good to get a piece of a fighter in a five-round fight. And not so much here. Um, not so, This isn't a good example because both of these guys are obviously excellent fighters. But, you know, you say – you just mentioned how high highly owned Alexei Olenek was last week. And that's strange because that was a – you know, a, that was a ba- bad matchup for him on paper. And sure, you want to get a piece of a guy in a five-round fight, but 
it's kind of like for uh, you know the fantasy those who play fantasy baseball. It's kind of like a two start pitcher during the week. Like, sure, you want to try and get a guy in your lineup who starts twice, but if the guy's terrible or he has bad matchups, all putting him twice is going to do is mess up your lineup. So you got to be careful about it. Hey, Olenek almost had him in that choke on the ground. For the record, he did. I, I have no idea why Lewis was willing to play around on the ground with him. I mean, he was bigger and he and he muscled him around a little bit, but he was going to the ground. I'm thinking, Lewis, what are you doing? I was like. Oh, and man, then you saw him explode, and the fight was over in two seconds. Yep, exactly. Yeah, he tried to do the same thing in the start of the second yeah. as he did with the first. Anyway, uh, yeah, we're getting a little bit off the rocker here, but uh, no, Stipe DC, man, this is it's close. You definitely want a piece, I think, but um, yeah, we, it could go both ways. Um, I, I'd say make uh, make ten instead of making one ten dollar lineup, make ten one dollar lineups, and whichever guy you like a little bit more, do sixty forty on. Because you want yep. the main event. I mean, even in a loss in that in that uh, UFC 241, DC's 181 significant strikes. You know, there's 90 fantasy points right there. Then you, you get a takedown and two passes. 100 points in a loss. I mean, I mean, you don't get much better than that. I don't. I still don't feel. Even though what happened last time, I still don't feel great about stacking it. Given what happened the first time, and it was done early, and there were just not a lot of points scored. I probably wouldn't necessarily stack this, but I I guess I couldn't fault you if you wanted to do it in a cash game. Yeah, we talk about this all the time. It it rarely works. It sounds good on paper, and then you get one of those wars where guys go back and forth for twenty five minutes and mm-hmm. you know land three hundred strikes a piece, and all you're thinking to yourself is, "Geez, why didn't I think to stack this?" But you know, ninety percent, ninety five, ninety nine percent of the time. It doesn't work. It's the exception, not the norm. And uh, absolutely. You know, and you want to look at the odds to finish in this one. The odds to finish are minus three hundred. Actually, I wonder if that's changed. I'm going to click the. Uh, I'm going to click it right now. See if uh, we got any heat there. Um, but yeah, they're they're minus three hundred. So in this one, when the odds to finish are like that, you generally don't want to. Um, don't want to really be messing around with that. Here, I'm looking at the latest numbers. What do we got? Fight goes. Oh, it's decreased a little bit i'm seeing it from minus 210 to minus 250 right now so yeah decreased a little bit as people got um you know i guess more in tune to that you get more money and as the week goes on that that can move things around a little bit but uh but yeah anyway you typically want to do that if you see you don't have the lower weight classes but again here we are in the smaller cage where the smaller weight classes uh, are getting a lot more stoppage here stoppages here and uh sean o'malley definitely knows something about that here um he's gonna be taking on marlon cheeto vera in the co-main event here sean o'malley the big time fan favorite he's 9200 on DraftKings, 21 dollars on FanDuel. vera on the other hand is dirt cheap he's seven thousand on DraftKings, ten dollars on FanDuel. um the betting odds kind of reflect that i mean o'malley at uh, minus 310 is i believe leave the biggest favorite on the card yep oh yeah he's like uh, it, it, could, it could change it's close herbert burns he's right up there yeah herbert burns right now virna jonder rope again it depends on the book that you look like it's essentially a wash with o'malley herbert burns and veneer jonder roba i <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not so confident in any of these big favorites really as we get to it but we can talk about that uh later on here i mean uh o'malley is red hot i mean he's got all the fan support in the world. He is a fan favorite. His avatar on FanDuel has the beautiful rainbow afro. By the way, we, we don't talk enough about those awesome avatars that someone like draws in paint to put on FanDuel. I, I want to meet that guy because his job or her job is awesome. Um, but uh, no, O'Malley, uh, yeah, again, here, me getting off the rails, the rails here a little bit. The odds to finish on this one, minus 135. I think the smaller cage plays into that a little bit. Um, I don't know. So what do you think? Do you think O'Malley can live up to that price? probably but i'm not dying to roster him put it that way Mm -hmm. um and this is this was curious to me i was when this fight was originally announced or i should say this card it looked like originally that the junior dos santos jair rosenstruck fight was going to be the cool main event um originally um within the last i don't know week 10 days two weeks whatever um they've the ufc's pivoted and has put this in as the coming event and the sole purpose of having this fight where it is on the card is to get sean o'malley's name out there Mm -hmm. uh period that's that's all it's about and there are very few fighters in the sport who you look at and you say wow you know that guy could actually be a legitimate future champion like there aren't many you know, if you say maybe like a guy like Zabit of Magomed Sharipov, sure. 
Um, we used to say that about Edmund Shabazz. That's what I was just gonna. That was what I was just gonna say, and then you saw where that went. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and we've also talked about how the UFC has really rushed some of these young fighters. Um, not so much Shabazzi, and that was he, they built him up a little bit, but. Um, Paige Van Zant comes to mind. Sage Northcutt comes to mind. They're probably the two, um, you know, most notable examples where they just they rush people in to big spots. And I don't think that's really the case here with O'Malley because I think his game's a bit more mature than the other two. But um, this is smart matchmaking in the sense that it's probably the best opponent O'Malley's faced to date, and it's somebody in, an opponent in Vera who is legitimately talented and a good fighter, but it's still a fight O'Malley should win. Um, O'Malley's biggest edge in pretty much any fight he ever fights in is the fact that at five foot 11, he's pretty much bigger than anybody he'll ever face 135 pounds. Um, he's just huge. Three and on top of height the, and two inches in reach it is. Yeah, he's a big, and, and uh, it should be pointed out, there is not small for the division, but he's going to be small next to O'Malley. And if O'Malley's size isn't enough, he's also one of the most unorthodox strikers in the sport. Um, you know, a lot of leg, a lot of kicks, combinations from everywhere, legitimate fight-ending power. It's just a really, really intriguing combination, and it's a combination that's impossible to train for. He's There's so, no way you're going to. He's so beyond his years in his striking. He sets everything up, and he has feints, all these feints to see what you're going to do, and then he'll hit you from just a place that you're not coming from. That's you know that you wouldn't see coming based on the feints that he set up before. So it's really it's very impressive to watch for someone as young in regular years and fighting years as O'Malley. Yeah, it is. It's not like he's going up there. He, you know, he's scored some beautiful knockouts, but he's not like he's going in there and walking across the octagon and just punching a guy in the face and knocking him out cold. He's actually working for it. You know, he's painting he's like you mentioned he's throwing combinations he's setting things up and it's really impressive to watch for such a young kid and i think the problem vera is going to have in this fight is vera is essentially a ground rest a ground fighter um he always has been um he does have five career knockouts but the vast majority of his work is done on the mat and um it goes back to that age old question you always hear about well, what's O'Malley's all-around game? You know, obviously we know he's a good striker and we know he's a big guy. So, if that's the case, what's his wrestling game look like? Is that a hole? And when you have these kind of conversations, the truth usually lies somewhere in the middle. Like, sure, his rest, his ground game is never going to be as good as his striking, but his gr- these guys are all world-class athletes who are training whatever they're training five, seven hours, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, the flaw or the hole in their game, while it's never going to be on the level of their greatest trait, which in O'Malley's case is just striking, it's probably better than most people think. Like if O'Malley was forced to go to the ground, he's probably better on the ground than most people give him credit for. Is he a stud there? Probably not, but he's probably competent enough that he can hold his own feet. That's usually how it is. You know, the truth is usually somewhere in the middle. And, I think if Vera gets this fight to the ground, O'Malley can probably do enough to get it back to the feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking it up right now. O'Malley is a purple belt in BJJ. Uh, if you look at the fight met- metric uh, submissions attempted per 15 minutes, I mean, they're pretty much dead even between O'Malley and Vera. O'Malley 1.2, Vera 1.3. Um, you know, watching embedded, you can see uh, it's so tough because they're so selective about what you put on there. But, like, you can see that in these simulated fights he's he's running takedowns he's practicing off his back and and uh you know clinched up when someone has both legs so like it it's respectable enough to be there but i think that o'malley's quick enough and uh he's smart enough with his footwork that he's not going to put himself in too bad of a position uh to get taken down so Ultimately, for me, I mean, I think I'm with you, John. The pick has to be O'Malley here, right? And I like so many under other underdogs on this card um, as a whole that uh, it's actually not too tough to work O'Malley into your lineups, especially when your main event pick is isn't going to be more than eighty two hundred dollars worth of salary. So I like O'Malley, but I just I think the odds should be a little bit closer than when they than what they are. I mean, Vera seems to me like the best opponent that O'Malley's faced. And Vera's not too far off with uh, from a uh, 
Before he got, before he was beaten by Song Yudong, he had five consecutive stoppages in the UFC, and also Vera has never once been finished in his pro career. So if O'Malley can't get him out of there, I could definitely see O'Malley outpointing him over three rounds and getting the judges nod. Um, for sure, but I mean, you have to count on O'Malley being able to put him out of there. And as impressed as I've been with his striking, that's tough to bank on against someone like Vera, who's had uh, 22 pro fights and never been knocked out. Yeah, this is one of those rare fights. When you look at it, you look at O'Malley's salary as a favorite, and you're like, okay, that's pretty, that's decent. I can get behind that at that price. Mm-hmm. And then you look at Vera's salary as an underdog, and you're like, oh, you're not. I could get behind that too if I had to fill out a lineup. Mm-hmm. O'Malley is the most expensive fighter. On the slate here, and second place was Ankalev, but that fight got uh, got got uh, canceled. So um, yeah, I mean he's he's the he's the cream of the uh, the crop here. He's going to be popular because of the name. So um, I was almost inclined to fade him because I feel like if uh, if he were to get beat, I think his ownership's going to be high, and there's a there's an angle there, but. Um, just given how my lineups look with, you know, a good amount of underdogs, which we'll talk about in a little bit, I think it's fine to use O'Malley and hope for the finish though. I wouldn't hinge your whole night on it. No, I would, I definitely wouldn't go crazy on it, but it's probably a bad idea to not get a piece of him somewhere simply because from what we've seen, he, he is so talented that he does have that ability. It looks like he does have that ability to put forth that highlight real performance. And if he does that, mm-hmm. Um, especially in any kind of large tournament, um, you know, that he'll certainly almost certainly be part of whatever the winning lineup is. And usually the other factor here, you know, if we talk about uh, some of these outside things, you know, UFC matchmakers tend to know what they're doing here and they want to put him in a spot just to do that here. And, uh, you know, there's a, they kind of got pressured into it a little bit because those two, these guys have been talking back and forth on social media for a little bit. But uh, I don't think the UFC would put him here in the co-main event of a pay-per-view when everybody's going to be watching uh, if they were ready to burn a prospect like that. So that's the other factor where, you know, I don't know. It, it, it brings me close enough to O'Malley that I'm a little bit leery about it. Yeah, I mean, plus, you know, there's like certainly like a gap in we talked about uh, Paige Van Zandt earlier and Sage Northcutt when they were coming up, they were 20, 21, you know, 22 years old. O'Malley's 25, you know, he'll be 26 at the end of October. So it may not seem it may only seem like, you know, two, three, four years. But in this sport, two, three, four years can be. You know, mm-hmm. six, yeah. seven, eight fights, which I mean, is, you know, massive. It's the difference between like a college defensive lineman and Aaron Donald. Right. It's a, yeah, it's a guy, it's a, it's the difference between a guy who leaves the, you know, college early and then plays three years in the NFL, which mm-hmm. is, you know, insane. Yeah. All right. So I think we got enough on this fight. I think uh, I'm a little bit leerier than you are, but we're both picking O'Malley out, right? I wouldn't be surprised if it's a unanimous decision. We'll see what uh, what what the uh, the biggest underdog lover Chris Olson thinks when his FanDuel article comes out later on today. But I'm pretty sure it's going to be O'Malley across the board. Let's move on to heavyweights, though, John. This is an interesting fight, uh, an excellent fight here. Again, you mentioned that you thought this might be in the co-main event. It could have very well been worthy of it because we've got some pretty recognizable names on here. Junior Dos Santos is taking on Jair Rosenstruik. Uh, Dos Santos, a plus 130 underdog. Uh, Rosenstruik, the favorite, at minus 150. Excuse me, Rosenstruik can be had at 8,400 on DraftKings, 17 on FanDuel, where JDS can be had at 78 on DraftKings, 15 on FanDuel. Odds to finish on this one were minus 285. Last time I checked here, um, there are a lot of heavyweight fights on this card. Uh, this is one that I personally believe that I would like to get a piece of, and hopefully I can get uh, a heavyweight pick sweep because that'll mean good things for cash earnings. Uh, what do you think about attacking this fight on DraftKings and just about the fight in general? I would highly, highly suggest attacking this fight on DraftKings if for no other reason than the fact that I don't expect it to last particularly long. Um, I certainly don't expect to see the final bell. And... Um, there's pretty a pretty good chance that one of these guys is going to be knocked out. Um, it's really two fighters that it's crazy. JDS and Rosenstruck in the sense that their entire games actually kind of mirror each other a lot in the sense that really they're just power punchers who just swing for the bleachers with every shot and, you know, trying somebody's going to get knocked out and that's pretty much all there is to it. Um, it's, 
a little crazy when I was doing my research for this fight and adding things up that since JDS lost the UFC heavyweight title to Cain Velasquez in December 2012, he's just a 500 fighter. And we've seen this a lot. I mean, don't get me wrong. Dos Santos isn't, you know, didn't fall off a cliff like Henan Barrow or Johnny Hendricks or, I mean, even Chris Weidman before he won the other day. But, um, you know, JDS was viewed as one of the better fighters in the world not all that long ago. And for the past time championship contender. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going on almost eight years, which is, you know, a career. Um, he's just a 500 fighter. Um, and, you know, he's been knocked out in his last two fights um, against Francis Ngannou and Curtis Blades, which is it is what it is. Those are probably two of the if you take DC out of it and you say DC is, you know, really a light heavyweight. Ngannou and Blades are pretty clearly two of the top three heavyweights on on the roster and in the world. Mm -hmm. So that is what it is. Um, And Rosenstruck, and we were talking about this off air a little bit before before we came on. Um, I'm kind of with you. I don't really see the fascination here. Um, He made a quick name for himself with the company. He came in as you know, really nothing more than roster death. Nobody knew who the guy was. Um, he rocked up wins over Junior Albini, Alan Crowder, and Andre Arlovsky, Um, which no disrespect to those guys, but that doesn't mean a ton. I'm pretty and sure then, that uh, Crowder, I don't even know if Crowder and Albini still have jobs and Arlovsky's in his 40s. So Right. And then there was the Alistair Overeem fight where um, Rosenstruck was going to lose. Like It was like a done deal, literally. Hmm. And then he literally knocked over him out with I don't I don't know the exact time, but there was like a second, yeah. a couple seconds. It left. was literally a buzzer beating knockout, and that is the coolest phrase that I've ever heard in my life. And I think that's what the fascination fascination is. Excuse me, beyond beyond uh, you're a buzzer beating knockout. I mean, it doesn't really get much better than that, and uh, that put him on every highlight reel. That got him on SVP's bad beats, and that just got him a lot of steam. Everyone knew who he was. Yeah, it, I mean, it wasn't as it wasn't as crazy as. The Yair Rodriguez Korean zombie spinning elbow thingy, whatever you want to call that, but oh you know God, it was it, so cool. it was a it was a last second knockout in a fight he was going to lose. So that that's mm-hmm. pretty much what it comes down to. So you know he won four straight fights. Rosenstruck, oh great, here you go. You know you're making headway. Go fight Francis Ngannou, and uh, he yeah. he did in May, and he lasted uh, exactly 20 seconds. Essentially, Ngannou walked across the cage, punched him in the head. Uh, actually, he threw about a half dozen punches, of which only one connected, yeah. and that was enough to essentially knock Rosenstruck out cold. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to make a long story short, um, this is pretty much essentially whoever lands, you know, whoever lands cleaner shots. You know, obviously, you could say that in every fight, but especially in this fight. Um, and I went back and forth on this. I really didn't have a particularly strong opinion on it either way. I will say, I do think Dos Santos is the better all-around mixed martial artist in the sense that I think he has a little more to offer. I think his offensive attacks are a bit more creative. Obviously, not as creative as they were in his heyday. But I think he can do a little more. And I think this is a fight JDS can win if he moves his feet. Mm-hmm. Um, the big concern about JDS at this point and has been for quite a while is his chin. And if he stands in front of Rosenstruck and just lets Jair just wail away, he's going to be in big, big trouble. But if he moves his feet a little bit and makes Jair move, you know, Jair's offensive arsenal is going to be limited. You know, there's not going to be, a, you're, he's not, there aren't going to be takedowns coming after you. You don't got to worry about a ground game. So if you can limit his strikes in a three round fight, Maybe JDS can get the job done. And I ended up taking Dos Santos mostly because of the value. If you're if I'm undecided on a pick, I pretty much just look at whoever's gonna give me, you know, a better value if they pull it off. In this case, Jair's eighty four, JDS is seventy eight. So I thought JDS was the better pick. I'm not I'm not particularly confident in it. Um but I just thought the value was there. Yeah. So we had you one for you with JDS. Another submission came in with Rosenstruck as the staff pick. Um, I'm going with you. I'm going JDS on this one. Uh, I think there's value in on in DFS. 
you know, at the cheaper price. I think there's value as a bet, but that value starting to go away a little bit because uh, at the beginning of the week when I posted your article, we had Rosenstruck minus 150 with a comeback on Dos Santos at plus 130. Right now, it's more along the lines of Rosenstruck minus 135, JDS at plus 115, and I wouldn't be all that surprised if this got pushed to close to a pick and that's going to put a lot of people on Dos Santos uh, on DraftKings, which uh, maybe you don't want if you're trying to shoot after that million. But uh, like you said, I just, uh, one, I don't get the Rosenstruck hype. I mean, I get it. He had a really cool knockout, um, but the guys he beat before that weren't anything special. And I know JDS comes in on the two-fight losing streak, but significant strikes landed per minute. You know, JDS, 4.66 to 3.84 for Jair. The accuracy, both are at dead even 48%. Um, the defense is where... JDS has a huge advantage. 58% is a striking defense. Jair, uh, only 34%. And that's what's going to make all the difference. I think JDS is going to be able to avoid Jair's best shots, and he's going to... um and, and he's going to be able to land his own combinations by sidestepping into him, uh, like you know, using the footwork that we know from Junior Dos Santos. And yeah. can, can Jair land the one big shot? Yeah, absolutely. That can happen in any heavyweight fight, but I think it's less likely to happen here. And I'm rolling JDS. Yeah, I mean, even if you think Jair's going to win, there's a, you know the fact that JDS is a value play is not really arguable. You know, I, I, there's no doubt about that. And the more I just look at it, it's just Jair essentially made his name beating three lower tier fighters and then a fight against Alistair Overeem that, you know, let's be honest, he lost really, you know, he, he sure he won it. He won on the record. And when it was all over, cause he landed a big knockout punch at the end, but you know, they fought an entire 15 minutes and Overeem won handily. So, it, you know, it is what it is, but get a piece of this somewhere because the odds of it ever seeing the final bell are pretty small. I mean, just think if, uh, Overeem got to the final bell against Rosenstruck. Rosenstruck would have never got the Ngannou chance, and, and he'd probably be fighting like Marcin Tybura or Augusto Sakai or somebody like that this weekend. Is, is yeah, I would go. It is, and I don't. You know, the craziest part about all this is the Ngannou fight with Rosenstruck. I don't even care about. You know, like I didn't factor that in in the least. Oh, great, you got knocked out in twenty seconds by Francis Ngannou. Who cares? He knocks everybody out in twenty seconds. That's not even a big deal. Mm-hmm. It's just it's the rest of it that bothers me. Do you wonder at all about like confidence level? Because that kind of played into me. J- or Jair is ten and one as a fighter. That was his first ever loss. That was his first time he's ever been knocked out. Some guys have a tough time bouncing back from that, and that pushed me in the direction of JDS a little bit too. I don't want to look into it too much because that happens to everybody. But you know, when it's never happened to you before, and you, you know you prepared for that fight, ready to roll, uh, you know. It could. It was also not only that, it was also the first and only loss of his pro career, yeah. which we didn't mention. So, you know, who knows? It, guys bounce back differently. Some guys come back and it's, it certainly doesn't help matters that Jair's offensive arsenal is so reliant on striking. You know, it's not like where we were talking about Cormier, where, you know, if his strike, you know, striking is not going anywhere, he's got to lean on his wrestling. If Jair's striking is not working, he's going to lose. So, you know. Look at it that way. Absolutely. So we'll go from the big guys to a couple of the little guys. We got a bantamweight fight. Marab Dvalishvili against John Dotson. Dvalishvili, eighty seven hundred on DraftKings, eighteen dollars on FanDuel. Uh Dotson is seventy five hundred on DraftKings, fourteen dollars on FanDuel. Um let me see if these betting odds change because I think they might have. Uh, at the beginning of the week when we posted your article, Dvalishvili minus one eighty five, comeback one sixty on Dotson. Uh now we have Dvalishvili minus two forty, comeback plus 200 on Dotson. I can go in on my rant how I loved Velishvili and I'll have just about 100% exposure to him. I think I'm going to put somewhere in between 510 lineups in the uh in the $3 and then maybe we'll uh maybe we'll taste the Millie maker. We'll see there. I'm going to have high exposure to Velishvili. I'll explain why, but I'll give you the chance to go first here and uh give us give us your take. Actually, this is going to sound a little weird considering some of the other fights, but this is actually probably the fight other than the main event that I'm looking forward to the most. And this fight was booked recently. This fight was booked within the last couple weeks. Um, and Valishvili is just, it's crazy what this guy's done. Um, probably not particularly well known still um, from casual MMA fans, but um, a native of Georgia, uh, the country, uh, not the state and uh now lives on long island not far from me uh trains at Saralongo over in uh, uniondale and 
this guy has this. Now we got to remember the sample size is small. He's only had, I believe, uh, six UFC six UFC fights, mm-hmm. um, and uh, none of them, I will say, have come against particularly high end competition. John Dodson is considerably, considerably better than anybody Devashvili has faced to date, but you cannot. You cannot deny the numbers mm-hmm. in f- per 15 minutes. So, uh, you know, essentially per, uh, f- over the course of a full fight, Valashvili averages 8.67 takedowns per 15 minutes, which is, I mean, we would need, obviously we don't have the Elias stats bureau here, but that has to be, I would guess that's, that's am- among the highest. If that's, not the highest. that's number one in UFC history, that number wow. where it stands right now. I don't know. You can put in different ca- caveats where you need to have 10 fights or whatever, but that right now I checked that. I saw a tweet, you know, one of the guys that Richard that used to write for us, uh, he loves making stack stats, graphics, Richard, man, he's a good follow on Twitter. Um, I, th- I think that was him that put that out. Maybe I saw that somewhere else, but 8.67, uh, takedowns landed per 15 minutes is the, uh, that is, is number one. Is number one in UFC history, and it's number one by a pretty decent margin too. In the, his last two fights, two, not like just two, he has twenty five takedowns. Twenty five. There are guys who have been in the UFC for a decade and a half who don't have twenty five total takedowns. He has at le- registered at least five takedowns in each of his six UFC fights. You want to go crazy in the crazy. In, in the Lopez fight, not only did he get 13 takedowns, he was credited with four advances or four I'm sorry, 14 advances. So he scored he put up 174 points on DraftKings his last time out and that is crazy even for the highest volume Holloway title fights when he lands 200 significant strikes. I mean, this is Dvalishvili is, is an unreal fantasy scorer. He lost his first two UFC fights. And still landed five takedowns in each of them, which is insane. The odds of you, if you land five takedowns, you win. He, wait, I, you know, I don't I'm, have a number, but I'm you win at, most of the time. In his debut against Frankie Sands, he was credited with 11 takedowns and lost the split decision. And then in Ricky Simone, he was uh, finished in the third round by Ricky Simone, but was winning the striking battle 61 to 34 and had six takedowns to Simone's two. Uh, that's wild. And then in the two fights afterwards, you know, Terry and Ware and Brad Katona won unanimous decisions in both of them. Just a modest five takedowns, you know, no big deal there. So I and mean, the, the guy breaks that algorithms. He does. And the craziest thing of all is he's a guy who does it with pace. He keeps racking up takedowns because he fights over the course of the entire 15 minutes in the 14th and 15th minute. He fights the same with the same energy as the first and second minute. So when his opponent is sucking wind from fighting off takedowns for the first 12 and 13 minutes, he just keeps coming in the 14th and 15th minute and just blows his opponents out the door. It's crazy to watch. And, you know, it's interesting because Dodson is actually legitimately good. I know he's only three and four in his last seven fights, but those four losses came against Piotr Jan, Jimmy Rivera, Marlon Moraes, and John Lineker. So you have a current UFC champion, a top contender, and two other guys who have challenged for UFC titles in the past. He's legitimately a good fighter. The big problem with Dodson is he ha- he did his best work um, in the lower weight class. Mm-hmm. He's not as interesting at bantamweight as he is at flyweight because his biggest asset has always been his power, and the power – that was a real difference maker at 125 pounds just doesn't quite play up as much as 135. It's still there and it can still impact the fight, but it was a real, real difference maker at flyweight and it's just not there at 135 pounds. But look, it, this is really direct as far as like a breakdown. And that's going to be the case in every Devalishvili fight. And in many ways it's the same as a breakdown of any Habib Nurmagomedov fight, it's their opponent. Can they stay off of their back? Mm-hmm. And John Dodson's takedown defense is 80%, which is excellent. But what we say all the time about Habib is the same thing that applies to Valashvili is, you know, the guy is the next person to successfully defend constant takedown attempts 
will be the first. Mm-hmm. And I do think Dotson's getting a bit underrated here in the sense that 7,500 is a really good price for a guy with his ability. And he's going up against an opponent who doesn't have really any experience against quality competition. So in that instance, I actually don't really mind Dodson as a, you know, an underdog play if you're trying to fill out a lineup. But like you said, Vashvili is just, it's fantasy gold. Yeah. I don't think anyone's getting stopped in this fight. And because of that relentless volume, I just don't think that uh, there's a way that Dodson could get the judges nod because of the way that uh, that Valashvili is from bell to bell. I'd actually rather take Cheeto Vera in a DraftKings lineup than Dodson and save and save the 500 bucks and and see what happens. I think, but no, I mentioned my exposure to Valashvili is going to be high. I'll reiterate a couple of reasons. You know, we said the 8.67 per minute. He only he only successfully executes half of his takedowns. He's got 50% takedown accuracy. So he's shooting 19 times in the course of a 15-minute fight. And yes, John Dodson, 80% takedown defense. You know, that's a very, very excellent number. That's among, you know, the elite bantamweights. But what we don't take into account when we look at that, you kind of mentioned this, you got into it before, but so much of that 80% takedown defense was accumulated in flyweight where he was the better fighter. Now he's going up against bigger guys. He's going to be giving up uh, three inches in uh, height and two inches in reach to Dvalishvili. Dvalishvili, he's a seven years younger. Uh, I mean, I just I don't see the path for Dotson here. And I think Dvalishvili is your foundation to any cash game play. If you're doing double ups or 50-50s, you don't want to miss out on him, especially you know when he pops, then you're pretty much toast. You don't really have a chance to win uh, any money there. And uh, I just, you know, even in a decision, Dvalishvili, I expect 80 points at the very least. I don't expect him to come out and get 174 points because Dotson's Johnson, a lot more co- or competent here than Lopez, but uh just across the board, uh, Dvalishvili's career, the way his trajectory is heading, his size advantage, his relentless pressure. Oh, he also lands 4.01 significant strikes per minute, which is 0.7 better than Dodson. A lot of that comes when guys are on the ground, but he can get you with ground and pound two when he's on top of you. I just, I don't see much case for Dodson here, and I'm very rarely will I do this. Um, you know, you can't, you can't have 100% exposure to anybody if you're mass entering, but if you're making 10 lineups uh, like, I, like I plan to do here, uh, 100% exposure to Valashvili. That's how I'm going. Yeah, I mean, it's essentially at the point where, given the numbers he's racking up, at least five takedowns in every fight, that you kind of have to run him out there until mm-hmm. it stops is pretty much what it comes down to. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm looking at uh, at some of the ranked bantam weights right now. Like, who would he have to fight for me to not auto-put him in? I mean, Jan, obviously, Sterling, um She's, I don't know, Corey Sandhagen got taken down pretty quick. Um, some of these, you know, you'd have to get up into, you know, Valashvili's 15, right? And I'm not seeing any names in, on that list until like five, six, seven, maybe that would really give him a run at defending those takedowns. Oh, no, he's got, he's, he could, he's got a, he's got to win a few more, but if he keeps blowing guys out of the water as badly as he is, it's not going to take many more to get him in the title picture. Like, like if Dvalishvili was fighting O'Malley, which UFC would never want to do, they'd never want to risk burning a prospect like O'Malley, but I think Dvalishvili would be the favorite. Probably, yeah. I mean, that's like the you know the age-old question you always used to hear, how forever the UFC tried to keep Habib, Habib away from Conor McGregor. Yep. And then we finally saw it, and look what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'll be like uh, Habib Gaethje coming up here at UFC 254, I believe. Okay, uh, that's what we have for the pay-per-view. I actually haven't seen yet today which fight is going to get bumped up to replace. I believe, I I, I could be wrong, I believe it's the Herbert Burns fight. I could be wrong. Yeah, Herbert Burns, you know, brother Gilbert Burns, they're related. He's been on a nice little run to start his career. Yeah, I I believe that's where they're going. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so just in case you uh, haven't seen it yet, Ian Kudilaba and Magomed Ankaliev has been canceled after Kudilaba has tested positive for COVID-19. I thought at first, now maybe something happened while we were recording here. I thought at first they were going to try to get um, Ankaliev a new opponent here because of, uh, you know, that's just how they've been operating lately. Grab some, you know, top contender at middleweight from the regional circuit and make Ankaliev a big uh, you know, betting favorite, just trot them out there anyway, but it doesn't look like they're going to go that way. Who knows? Uh, we might be wrong there. Um, so I guess we'll skip they over that. They can't grab one of the six guys they signed off contenders last night. Yeah. Um, Kasangana, that guy, he, he was pretty awesome. Actually, he had the, uh, 
even though he didn't get the finish, he had the look of a UFC fighter. He was able to get takedowns, crisp, powerful striking. He is in phenomenal shape. That would be a cool fight to see. But uh, Kasanga, now they're going to give him Mackie Patolo on August 22nd first. He said, I think that was part of the reason. Dana kind of half gave him a contract, half didn't. He was like, I think he had agreed to um, to fight Patolo beforehand. That's probably what he probably like said. That. You're going to take this fight, and then I'll give it to you. Yep, exactly. So they, cause he said he just told him. So um, so he's got a different fight there. But uh, yeah, you'd think there'd be something there. But anyway, what about upsets? I, I mentioned there's some dogs on this card. There's a ton of line value. Of course, Daniel Cormier has natural line value. That's going to boost his ownership a lot. Minus one fifteen at eight eight thousand dollars. Um, Vince Pichel is actually a minus one twenty five favorite over Jim Miller, but he checks in at seven thousand nine hundred on DraftKings. I've seen Pichel anywhere from minus one twenty five to minus one thirty five. Uh, and then if you go down to the very first fight of the night, it's heavyweight, so you're getting real risky here um but you might need to get a piece of this fight to uh to get the optimal here um especially if there's going to be a stoppage early on i mean you've got Dawkins and porter it opened up pretty far apart but right now it's parker porter minus 115 Dawkins minus 105 and Dawkins is only uh 7.7 k on DraftKings, so there could be uh could be something there you know i'm not going to pretend i know a bunch about these guys but you got a heavyweight fight where a fight doesn't go to the decision is minus 333 and you got a guy at 7.7 k you know you take a shot on him i guess um outside of that line value were there any dogs that stood out to you chris or geez i i said chris because i'm so used to chris picking an underdog in every single fight but uh john what do you got for underdogs uh you know it's those who are regular readers and listeners um no i'm not the big i'm not i'm no big jim miller fan you know i obviously respect what the guy's done in the business he's been around forever but it's really reached the point in this point in his career where jim miller is a ground fighter which is fine he's actually still really good at it but he's going to struggle in the stand-up game and i for all the world really wanted to pick vince michelle like i i really really wanted to especially when you took the salaries into consideration mm-hmm. 7900 compared to 8300 for miller and then I did some more research, and I saw that Pichel's takedown defense was 22%. Yeah. And once I saw that, I, I just I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Miller for you know, yeah, he's been around forever, and he's he's slow to step, slow down multiple steps. But if you let him get on top of you, you're gonna lose. And I just I couldn't get by that. But the one that I don't really think is getting talked about enough as far as like a legitimate underdog play was Felice Herrig. And it's she's a really big underdog. She's plus 250 in the odds. She's 7,200 in salary, which is certainly one of the lowest on the card. I might be, is it the lowest? It's certainly up there. Um, yeah, it's one of the is lowest. She the, is she the lowest fight? Yeah, she, yep. Um, she's up there. actually Cheeto's the lowest fighter because I'm Cheeto's at seven, yeah. So, but she's definitely down there, and she's um, the second lowest. She hasn't fought in almost two years. Um, she Knee tore AC, yep. yeah, tore ACL, and she's been on the sidelines. Um, lost her last two fights prior to the injury, unanimous decision to Michelle Waterson, split decision to Carolina Kolkiewicz. But the reason I was a little bit intrigued by her, other than the cheap salary, is the fact that Felice Herrig is, I mean, she, she'll be 36 years old next month, so she's getting up there in age. But the one thing about Herrig is she's always been one of the strongest fighters in the division. She keeps herself in excellent shape. She fights physically. And I thought she had actual value as far as, you know, maybe if you're really in a jam, and you're trying to fill out a lineup, maybe she can just muscle her way to a victory. Um, she's not a pure wrestler in the sense that she's going to rack up a ton of takedowns. You know, she averages a little over one takedown, you know, per 15 minutes, 1.2. But she has the upper body strength to control her opposition if they are, you know, fighting in tight or fighting on the ground or whatever. She's definitely strong enough to win that kind of fight. So, Hey, if you're really looking, you're really in a jam and you're looking for some kind of salary relief or whatever, 
you know, maybe you take her and hope that she can just grind her way to a decision. It's going to be ugly. You know, she's not going to go in there and knock her out. It's not going to be pretty, but you know, maybe she can do enough just, you know, to get you some points. Maybe she can get some passes on the ground, some reversals or whatever. And, and, you know, try and get you some points that way. If you're in a jam. Yeah. I don't know if, uh, you know, if we can count on her enough to be in the optimal, but I actually don't mind her chances of winning this fight. It, um, her last three victories before, for, um, before the losses here that we talked about, um, uh, 76, 109, 76, 108. She lost to Paige Van Sant in 2015. That's how far back we're going here. Um, I was actually at that fight. Oh, nice. Blast from the past here. Yeah, um, that was a long time ago. Uh, she literally made Justine Kish poop her pants in the cage. I remember that. Oh, yeah, I remember vividly. that, too. Um, she beat Alexa Grasso, who is everyone's favorite prospect. Gr- granted, you know, three years ago, that's a lot different. She kind of derailed the hype train there. I mean... Herrig's legit. I didn't understand how she. Maybe I need to somehow dig out more film on John Robo because it's tough. I mean, she lost to Carla Esparza and she's got one UFC win. You know, someone that's been fighting in the UFC pretty consistently since 2015. It doesn't make sense to me how she's that much of an underdog, especially. It has to be the time away. It's the only thing that makes yeah. any sense. Yeah, and, ge- and generally, it's not a great rule of thumb to uh, take fighters that are just coming back off from injury, especially you know when you got someone that's physical like Janderoba. But I mean, Herrig's gonna have height and reach advantages i'm not sure i'd like that for gpp but for cash games you know you put herrick down at 7200 um and then if you again to win the millionaire maker i think i'm pretty sure the winner is going to have to pick the main event right they're going to have to pick jds rosenstruck right they're gonna have to pick the very first fight right which uh i always hate picking the wrong side of the heavyweight fight that's the first one on the card and then just tilting and entering all the televised lineups <laughs> on uh on DraftKings, that's a that's a common pattern here in this household. But um, <laughs> but uh, but doing that, and then uh, and then you know get some Dvalishvili in there, and uh, you know gonna have to find another weird stoppage. Uh, you know maybe someone gets an armbar in the Yoder Souza fight, or something fluky happens. It's really tough. Uh, so it's it's really hard because it all the winning. You know the big thing like that. The crazy thing is. It's going to be some kind of crazy lineup that nobody expects. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing. I wouldn't be second, surprised if it leaves over $1,000 on the table. There's there's certainly there, – that's another thing. It, you're going to look at your lineup and say, okay, that can't be right. But the third thing is it's going to – it always involves – picking fights that we don't know a lot about you know it's going to be it's going to be a couple of these lower end fights you know the the, the chris Dawkins, parker porter or, or you know mm-hmm. tj brown danny chavez it's going to be some crazy finish in one of those fights that nobody can accurately predict that's going to turn the tide on this Mm-hmm. I think uh, speaking of that Brown Chavez fight that opened with those guys really far apart, but now TJ Brown's minus one forty five, Chavez plus one one twenty five comeback. I think there's a little line value on Chavez at seven point four k. I know the fight matrix people that uh, try to do the mathematical um, projections. Pretty much every one of their um, models like Chavez. They also like P- uh, Pineda though. So uh, you know. I guess so. I, I mean, between but but I mean Chavez, Pineda, huge underdogs. Herrig, big underdog. We like the underdog, or uh, I guess I like the underdog a little bit in the main event. We both like the other heavyweight underdog. Um, you know, we can agree, I guess, on Dvalishvili, but we like Miller, who's an underdog. We like. Uh, and we're not we both like O'Malley to win outright, but we're not quite as confident as the minus three ten says. What that all says to me is that you're putting a lot of money out there on the table and leaving it. And it's and a lot of people feel like they have to come out and put the money out there. Um, but that is just it's just not the case at all. Um, you know, people get mentally trained to think because a guy's higher priced on DraftKings, uh, I should use him over another guy who has, you know, a different uh, you know, or a better chance to win. Um, you don't have to use all your money. And that is, very, you know, in sports like MLB and NBA, where you have these big slates and hundreds of players to choose from, then generally, statistically, yeah, especially for cash games, you want to use all your money. But in MMA, if you enter the Millionaire Maker lineup and you use all $50,000, even if you do win, you're going to split that so many ways. So this is yep. definitely a slate, definitely a sport where you want to leave money on the table. Yeah, it has to be. It's going to be in. It's We say it all the time. It's going to be some lineup that you're going to look at and you're going to say, there's no way this thing's going to win me a penny. 
Mm-hmm. And that's going to be the lineup that wins it because it's just and even if you get you know even if you get the the um, you pick O'Malley and you get that right and you pick the DC Cormier fight and that's right and then you know you go with the Rosenstruck JDS and you nail that one it's still going to be you know the Parker Porters and the Danny Chavez and the TJ Browns of the world that swing it so. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's, it's if a tough you're gonna game make to a play. Bu- <laughs> it is. It really is. Yeah, especially if, if there's only going to be right now. I think we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, is it eleven. I think. Well, I think it's only ten after. Um, well, okay, a fight got added that um, that might not. I forget the names because these are just two debuting guys. A fight did get added, I believe, but it's not in the player pool yet for FanDuel or DraftKings. So watch out for that. And right now it's only at 10, but I bet you it'll end up at 11. So, you know, it's even tougher to be a sole Millie maker winner when you have that as opposed to the regular kind of 12, 13 fights. But okay, we've actually hit our time pretty much. Uh, I wasn't sure we'd do it going with only four fights, but there's a lot to discuss on this card. I had a great time talking this over with you, John. Um, I'm going to wrap this up. Thanks for listening to the Roto-Wire Mixed Martial Arts Podcast, of course, brought to you by ESPN Plus, the home of UFC 252. Don't forget to uh, hit up that link I mentioned, rotowire.com slash subscribe slash ESPN hyphen plus and that'll get you a free month of rotowire when you sign up for espn plus for the first time and um of course you give john a follow on twitter at j-o-n-l-i-t-t-e-r-i-n-e you can follow me at roto jake we're going to be back with you guys prior to ufc 253 that's israel adesanya versus paulo costa in las vegas excellent fight john can't wait to talk that over with you oh yeah that's that's going to be a good one all right well uh take care and uh, best of luck get get a piece of that millie maker This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Grainger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Grainger, for the ones who get it done.